Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest today is Jerry D. Simmons, who is author of What Writers Need to Know About Publishing. Today we will discuss surviving and thriving the changes in book publishing. Jerry is a 32-year veteran of publishing, until 2003 when he retired from Time Warner Book Group that was later purchased by a French company, Achette Book Group USA. He spent 25 years in New York with Random House and Time Warner Book Group as Vice President and Director of Field Sales. His sales division generated hundreds of millions of dollars in book sales across the United States and Canada. Over the years, he has worked on many New York Times best-selling titles with hundreds of New York Times best-selling authors, including some very well-known names like James Patterson, David Baldacci, Sandra Brown, Nicholas Sparks, Nelson DeMille, and Michael Connolly. He is founder of WritersReaders.com about publishing and NothingBinding.com, an online marketing platform for unpublished writers and authors. Jerry launched the Indie Publishing Group in 2009, establishing a new model for publishing while offering opportunities for writers choosing to publish independently. He spends his time writing, teaching, and speaking with writers about the importance of understanding the marketplace and educating them about the business of publishing while sharing the secrets of the largest booksellers and publishers in the world. Jerry, welcome. Well, thank you, Elena. Good morning. I appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. Well, I am a big fan of books, the old-fashioned type and the new type. So I think this is a really interesting topic, and I think that because we have so many business owners and executives among our listeners, this is a topic that is potentially of interest to many of them. And as a veteran of three book projects, I relate to some of the issues that I think you are going to share with us today. The new lay of the land, things have been changing, of course, for a number of years. The publishing industry, like the newspaper industry, is going through a lot of changes. Would you sort of paint a picture for us, Jerry? Where were things, let's say, in the traditional years, and what's happened? Where are we now? Great. Um, I started in publishing in the uh, mid to late 70s, right after college. And at that time, paperbacks were the primary way in which publishers published. Hardcovers were sort of a secondary item at that point. There were no big mega bookstores. Books were distributed in supermarkets and drugstores and a variety of other places. Over the years, the transition changed from the paperback being the primary format to the hardcover, which we recognize today. Uh, the independent bookstores slowly started to fade as the big bookstore chains became the dominant retailer. And now we're at a point where the big mega bookstores between Borders and Barnes and & Noble are the, the two large bookstore chains. Hardcover is the dominant format for books. And up until 2007, uh, the print publishing was considered the only way to, to publish and get your work out. And so at that point, when Amazon launched their Kindle, which is a digital reading device for downloads of electronic books, uh, publishers started to, to pay attention, but not giving it a lot of resources, a lot of thought. They just merely figured this was another format, like a hardcover, an audio book, or a paperback. They just figured the ebook would be uh, a new type of format. And so once Apple, in April of this year, 2010, when they launched the iPad, the entire digital marketplace and the way digital books are going to be published and distributed to readers uh, literally around the world uh, changed everything. And my contention is that the big New York publishers, of which uh, there are six, five being foreign-owned companies, they really have not recognized how digital publishing and ebooks will change the business model that has been dominant for 60 years. If you look at the way print books are sold and marketed and distributed, there's very few changes. It's been a pretty static industry. 
And so terms of sale are the same, sales channels are the same. What has changed dramatically on the print side is that the large publishers based in New York control the marketplace. They control the distribution networks. They control the retailers. They control the online uh, sellers of their hardbound books, such as Amazon. They control that through a variety of discounts, fees, and incentives that they can afford to pay to retailers, which makes it an unlevel marketplace, and it's not uh, a marketplace in which an individual author or a small publisher or even a business could compete. It was just, the economics of that business was just not viable for profitability. Now, with the introduction of the digital publishing, what Apple is doing, what Amazon is doing with the Kindle, what so many other companies are doing with electronic reading devices, that whole scenario now has turned upside down. And what I find interesting, since my experience is in New York and outside of New York, I find it really interesting that no one in New York really recognizes this change. They haven't really grasped the idea that their print-and-ship model of doing business, uh, the beginning of the end is here. It's going to change dramatically. I think we're at the very early stages of what you're going to see is a major transformation of how books are published, distributed, and read in the United States and elsewhere. In terms of actual numbers, I've always found book publishing to be so, so interesting because traditionally it was that only a very small percentage of the titles published accounted for the vast majority of the profits. And the majority of the books, in fact, didn't sell very many copies and didn't return any profits. Is that right? Absolutely correct. Absolutely. In fact, the statistics are that of, the, of every 10 books that a New York publisher publishes, approximately seven will never earn a dime for the author. So in essence, it never sold enough copies to repay the company for the money they invested in the acquisition, editing, marketing, production of that book. And in the New York circles, if you look at all the number of titles New York companies publish, approximately 10% of those titles generate in excess of 90% of the revenues. So that means that there's a small handful of mega best-selling authors that are generating the vast majority of the sales, the profits, and of course, the attention of the big publishers. So you're absolutely right. Most books sell very few copies. Now, the accessibility that you were alluding to a moment ago of the e-books and the potential that they have for people to publish books without having to go through those big players that control the market is a very intriguing concept. So here, I think, is where a lot of skeptics jump in and say, yeah, it's an interesting concept. Everybody's been talking about this for a long time since the technology became available. But the fact of the matter is that people still buy hard copy books rather than e-books. And that Kindle and now the iPad look very promising, but the people who read and the people who buy books are not buying into it. Now I'm looking at, I just did a quick search, and Borders apparently says that 70% of the market is now ebook. What can you tell us about the ebook percentages and those arguments that people are making that it's a really intriguing medium, but it's really not taking over the publishing industry? Well, certainly today, I mean, we're in July 2010. Today, there is no doubt that the printed book is still the dominant form in publishing. There's no doubt about that. But just yesterday's New York Times had an article that Amazon claims that they are now selling 180 e-books to every 100 hardcover books they sell. Now, Amazon's very secretive about numbers, and so I think those figures are very telling. What it says to me, based on my 30 years in the business, is that slowly as the ebook reading devices 
become less expensive. And now they're under that magic $200 mark, which a lot of experts say $200 now turns it into sort of a mass market item accessible by more and more people. Well, as that continues to, as prices continue to drop, then the demand for content for more eBooks to be downloaded into those devices is going to continue to grow. Uh, today, again, July 2010, it's estimated that the sale of digital eBooks is probably, <clears throat> excuse me, in the two to three percent range of total book sales. However, Barnes and Noble, at their quarterly investor shareholder meeting, stated that over the next five to ten years, they expect the publishing business to grow by six billion, with a B, six billion dollars, and the growth is all going to be in digital electronic publishing, where in essence, digital publishing is going to grow by six billion, and traditional print books are going to decline by roughly five to six billion. So you're really looking at a net zero gain. It's going to be losses in print versus increases in digital. But again, what that says is the traditional model that the big publishers in New York have always worked under, which is acquiring books, printing books, shipping to their customers, and marketing to mass consumption, is going to continue to erode. There's a lot of skeptics out there about uh, the survival of, of the print book. I believe print books will continue to survive. I think there will always be some form of a print book, but I do not believe it will be the dominant form of the way people uh, read content, content being fiction, novels, nonfiction, business, uh, even children's books. I do believe that through the technology changes with the iPad and what's possible and what's available today, I believe that enhanced video and audio and interactive, uh, the interactive ability of these eBooks is going to be the dominant form of the way people read, uh, read books. And I think all indications are that the eBook business on a month-to-month -month basis now is growing in excess of 200% per month. And what's interesting is the manufacturers of all the reading devices, the Amazons of the world, the Apples of the world, they are begging New York publishers for more content. And the New York publishers are reluctant to release classic print titles in ebook form because they're worried about what it will do to their print sales. That's why you don't see a lot of books that are available in print. Uh, they're not available in ebook simply because publishers are worried about what it will do to their their basic business model. So I do believe that you have seen, we have experienced now in 2010, we have seen the beginning of the end of the dominant publishing model that has been around for the past 60 years, and that is print to paper and ship to a retailer where they can merchandise and display books for people to walk in and shop and buy. I believe that that model is going to go away, and it will not, bookstores will not exist as we know them today. And I think every indication from all the statistics you read, everything you look at, everything you see, that's what's happening. And from my standpoint, the interesting aspect is the New York publishers don't believe it and certainly don't accept it. I just want to correct something before we move forward on what I said earlier, that 17% that is actually a goal that Borders seems to have. This is based on an article from newsfactor.com from earlier this month by Barry Levine. And essentially what it says is that they are hoping to achieve a 17% ebook share by July of 2011. So they, in fact, don't have that yet. And it doesn't say what they do have, which is a very curious thing, because perhaps it is more in line with what you said a moment ago, that the industry percent right now is about 2 to 3% in terms of the e-books. Amazon has a stake in the e-book format because, of course, they are selling the Kindle. And part of what they're offering as the carrot is a lot of free books. 
So how much of the numbers are actual sales and how much of those numbers are giveaways? Well, there's a large percentage of the sales you see of eBooks uh, are in fact free downloads. You're absolutely correct. <clears throat> and if you look at what Amazon and others are doing, the offer of free books is more than made up by the profit they will generate when they sell a reading device. So Amazon has really seeded the market of digital bestsellers at a $9.99 price. And with each sale of that $9.99 book, they were losing 2 to $3 because the publishers were selling the e-books at similar prices to hardcovers. And so for a $26 hardcover, Amazon may have been buying that book for, let's say, $13 selling it for $9.99 and losing $3. But their hope was to establish a ceiling for digital book pricing at the $9.99 level and in turn make tremendous profits from the sale of their Kindle. That was what their model was. That was what their strategy was. That was what they were hoping to achieve. And every indication is that they have achieved that. I think where it backfired on Amazon was they believed that the price for bestsellers in ebooks would remain at $9.99. When in fact, the New York publishers made it very clear they had no intention of selling their bestselling titles at anything less than, say, a $14 to $15 price range. And that in turn is very short-sighted on the New York publishing standpoint. However, you have to consider they have tremendous cost uh, already established in the overhead they have in the buildings they rent and their employees and their benefits in the production and editorial. I mean, they have tremendous cost already built into every book. So they're looking to extend that profit and make more per title by keeping the price uh, high. That in turn creates tremendous opportunities for independent authors, for small publishers, and for businesses to come in with rich content and sell at a much lower price on an ebook. And so when you look at what the big publishers are trying to do, it plays right into the hands of the independent author and small publisher and business who want to create content that they can market to a much wider audience. That scenario was never possible, and to this day is still not possible in the print side of the business. The economics of print and the fact the major companies control the marketplace and the distribution means that anyone trying to compete with a print book and try and eventually get a print book into, say, Barnes & Noble or a Target or a Walmart, uh, it's virtually impossible to do that simply because the economics of the business does not allow that. However, if you take the digital world and the, the scenario of how a digital company can profit the distribution, the access to readers, to online sellers of, of e-books, to online catalogs is wide open. It's not controlled by the New York companies. And so the fact that the New York companies want to continue to maintain high pricing provides tremendous opportunity for rich content done in a professional way, professionally edited, presented in the right format uh, at a very low price to reach a wide audience. And that's why I believe that the future of books is going to be in the digital world. In fact, Jeff Bezos, chairman and CEO, founder of Amazon, recently stated that he believes the future of publishing are going to be to those companies who provide quality content at a low price. Because in the print business, a book has to be priced at a certain level to cover all of the built-in costs that publishers have and for the distribution model that they have set up and controlled. Where on the digital side, a lot of those costs are gone. They just don't exist. And so that's why I believe it's it, there are tremendous opportunities. And I also believe that the old print business model will continue to erode and eventually will have to change or collapse. And again, that's my belief based on my experience. And I know there's a lot of prognosticators out there who vehemently disagree with me. They say that's absolutely not true, it won't happen, which I find interesting. And of course, you know, I look at I look at the business based on my experience 
based on the clients I work with today, where they're making money and how they're making money, and you look at the opportunities in the market for both the digital and the print, uh, clearly digital has huge advantages uh, over the print side of, of business. Let's talk a little bit more about the digital format and the the way that you access it, let, let's describe it that way. The choices that you have, if you want to read a book using a digital format or if you want to read a digital book, are basically using players for the most part or as simple as through a PDF file. Now, if you use players, and correct me if I'm wrong, then you have compatibility issues because you might purchase a book that is or you might purchase a book through a particular supplier, say for a Kindle or an iPad. Now, are they going to be compatible? If you buy a book for a Kindle, will it play on an iPad? Or what if you just want to read the book on your computer? Are these formats compatible with each other, or are there going to be competitions like there are in so many other electronic devices where you can't transfer one from the other? Uh, You're correct, Elena. Today, there are compatibility issues. And I venture back to the early days of the beta VHS. Eventually, an industry standard VHS was accepted, and all manufacturers then adopted that method and so forth. You're seeing that very thing go on in the digital world today. Uh, And I don't want to bore people with the technical um, jargon, and I'm not a technical person, But there are approximately six various style formats in which a manuscript can be converted into, meaning uh, you can take a manuscript and convert it into six different style formats, and those six to 12 style formats are compatible with different devices. So to be clear, a, a conversion for the Kindle does not make it compatible to the Apple iPad. The Apple iPad conversion does not make it compatible with the Microsoft Reader or the Sony Reader or the uh, Android application for a smartphone. And so there are compatibility issues, absolutely correct. However, it is moving toward a... Okay, yeah, Elena, we were talking about uh, compatibility with reading devices and, and various uh, ebooks and so forth. And you are correct, there are compatibility issues. If you own a Kindle and you download Kindle books, you have no problem. If you go to other sites and try and download ebooks, uh, it's my understanding there are issues, there are problems. They're not all compatible. And so that creates a problem, a small problem. It simply means that ebooks have to be converted from manuscript into six primary style formats, making them compatible with a variety of reading devices, which would include the Kindle, the iPad, the Nook from Barnes & Noble, Microsoft, uh, applications for smartphones, and the list goes on. The industry is working toward a single uh, style compatible with all new devices, and I I truly believe in the next year to two that that will happen. Um, and so it's kind of the beta VHS argument that we went through years and years and years ago, and eventually the industry adopted the VHS, and so I think that's, you're going to see that happen in the ebook probably sooner rather than later because uh, Apple wants uh, their machine to be compatible with any ebook out there, same with Apple and, and Barnes and & Noble, and so I, I really believe the compatibility issue is going to be one that will fade away. But as the early stages of any new form of, of communication or entertainment, uh, you run into these issues, and I, I just believe that, uh, in short order, they will be taken care of. Who are the likely adopters, the early adopters of this technology? Because ebooks have been around for years. This isn't something that just came out this year or that even came out when the Kindle was released. They've been around for a while, and as you said, the publishers have been very cool toward the technology and the concept. So who are the adopters of the e-book, and what does that tell us about the, the speed with which more people are likely to adopt this format? Well, interestingly enough, 
And these demographics are from Amazon. And so Amazon's always very secretive about numbers and so forth. So I think you have to take these at face value. Um, Amazon says that the largest percentage of people purchasing uh, their reading device, the Kindle, is over the age of 50. So it's a baby, baby boomer demographic that are making this purchase and seem to be the largest percentage of people purchasing uh, e-books. Now, if you look at demographics for print books, obviously they're all over the place, but uh, people over 50 buy the largest percentage of print titles. So I think it bodes well for uh, the future, certainly in the next 10 to 15 years, because as the technology gets better and as the prices of these reading devices uh, become less expensive, I, I think you're going to see a much uh, wider percentage of readers uh, purchasing uh, an ebook device. And again, what limits the sales of ebook devices? reading devices is the lack of content. And the lack of content goes back to what we talked about earlier. The New York publishers are reluctant to release a lot of their old best-selling content for worry of how it's going to continue to erode print sales and hurt their business. So I think the as content becomes more widely available and better content becomes more widely available, I believe that the demographics for the ebook purchasers and, and ebook reading device purchasers is going to drop. I think you're going to eventually see uh, younger adults because it's going to be almost as necessary as an iPod or um, an iPhone, a smartphone. If you look at certain things today that years ago we didn't think would happen, look at cell phones. Uh, I, I believe that reading devices, electronic devices, where people can travel and access magazines and newspapers and books, I believe it's going to become a standard part of, uh, of everyone, and they're going, to, they're going to carry it with them. So I really believe that even though it's in the baby boomer stages right now, younger people will adopt and adapt, and I think uh, children are going to be the point where the interactiveness of these uh, e-books and the possibilities with these reading devices is going to make it, make it more interesting and uh, applicable to children. So I think that's going to be the trend. And that is a perfect segue for the other thing that came to mind when you talked about the, the, the people who, according to Amazon, are purchasing the Kindle and their e-books are the boomers. And, of course, that makes sense because they are the ones, in a lot of cases, that can afford the Kindle. When it came out into the market, it was fairly pricey. But what I was thinking about was that the last time I looked at the statistics in terms of who reads, I was really astonished at the numbers, that the, the number of people reading was incredibly low relative to the overall size of the population, and that it was dropping. Do you have any statistics that you can share on that? Well, I know that during my time in New York, the number of individual books being sold had been decreasing since the early 90s. So for, from the early 90s to the time I left New York, which was 2003, you saw erosion in total numbers of books being sold. Now, if you read um, newspapers and magazines about the publishing industry, the industry is always talking about how their business has, is increasing. It's a small percentage. It's usually 1%, 2%. But overall, it's a, still a growing industry. What most readers don't understand is that the way those numbers increase is as individual books uh, decline in sales, the prices continue to increase. So the increase is a result not of more books being sold, but of higher prices. So it's fewer books being sold at higher prices. That's how the industry touts uh, the fact that they are still a growth industry. But uh, the decline in the numbers of books, again, uh, has been since the early 90s. The one blip in that whole radar was Harry Potter, of course, and that brought more younger readers uh, into the business uh, more than ever before. And I do believe that those readers will now be lifelong readers. The key for publishing is to continue to provide content that is both interesting and informative at a price 
that's affordable for people who are interested in reading. That's why I believe ebooks provides opportunities that were never possible in print. Again, simply because the cost of paper, the cost of production, the cost of handling and shipping, et cetera, et cetera, with print books, that's out the window with ebooks. So you can offer a content rich, interactive ebook for a few dollars, where on the print side, that book would be three and four times the price. So I believe the loss of readership, loss of people reading, is simply the fact that the prices are so much higher. If you look today at the price of magazines on the newsstand, it's not unusual to pay five, six, seven dollars for certain magazines. I believe as the interactive ability of those publishers to publish that magazine in its entirety as an ebook, it certainly will reduce their production cost, their overhead cost. The question is, will it force them to reduce their price? And that's yet to be seen. Thus again, these are the kinds of opportunities for companies and authors who are interested in producing quality content at affordable prices, this very scenario is what offers them the opportunity that exists today and may not exist a year from now or two years from now. So the window of opportunity is, is today, July 2010, as opposed to July 2012 or 2015. We just don't know. So again, back to your early question, readers, the number of books uh, being sold has decreased consistently over the last, my guess is 20 years. And yet the increase in the number of ebooks being read shows that there is a, a strong market for quality content at an affordable price, which you don't find on the print side. Okay, so the ebook offers a number of advantages in addition to its access and hopefully they'll sort out the compatibility issue. And one of the advantages, of course, is that there are size limitations with a print book. You need to have a minimum size in order for it to be worthwhile. Mm -hmm. And the barriers to entry, because you have to get a publisher, one of the big six that you were talking about in New York, or one of the many thousands of small publishers that we have across the country. Somebody has to say, I like what you have to say, and put their money to support it. Now that we have this digital format, then the barriers to entry are more or less disappearing, right? That's correct. Absolutely correct. The barriers to entry in the digital world do not exist anything like they do on the print side. So you're right, Elena. The, the barriers are disappearing. From the perspective of newsmakers and leaders, business owners, executives, nonprofits, anybody who has something to say that they want to share with their audience, maybe internally or potential audience, external audience, etc. This offers great opportunities. How do you then control the quality? Because one of the functions of the publishers historically has been that they would act as a sieve. They would control and eliminate all of those that were potential, let's call them losers, because they weren't going to be big sellers, but perhaps because they just weren't good enough. And now, if that disappears from the picture, who is going to control the quality? Well, that's an excellent question. Uh, and let me just um, brief history of, of the print business. Many years ago, there was a technology uh, devised called a print-on-demand. Today, it's referred to as a POD. Print-on-demand was originally introduced to New York publishers as a way for them to reduce their costs of uh, printing and production, etc. It was meant as a way to cut waste because there's tremendous waste in the printing of books and trying to market books that don't sell. Eventually, those books are returned to the publisher and that printed material is shredded. Okay? It's shredded and bailed and recycled, but there's tremendous waste. So print-on-demand as a technology was introduced as a way for publishers to reduce costs. Well, what happened was publishers in New York uh, rejected the model uh, and the idea, and so this technology turned from a way to print books one at a time into a whole new industry called print-on-demand publishing. Print-on-demand publishing basically are companies who have set up and they use a print-on-demand technology to publish books. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but their business model 
makes money when writers sign up and pay for their services. That, that whole new industry, when it was spawned, basically quality control went out the window. So today, to give you some idea, today uh, there are roughly one million books printed, new titles printed in the U.S. each year. Uh, in 2009, of that one million, 766,000 were print-on-demand, independently published, or self-published, meaning the author, writer, paid for the production of their book. Now, there is no doubt the vast majority of that, those 766,000 titles have absolutely zero editorial control. So the quality of the print book on an independent basis has been, uh, let's just say the perception is negative on, on those titles. You have the very same scenario in the digital business. The quality control, as you mentioned, is really out the door. However, uh, big difference. On the print side, the retailers continue to control the quality because the big publishers dominated the marketplace. So if you're one of those self-published 766,000 authors who were trying to get your book into the marketplace, you had virtually no chance. Your chance was getting the book on Amazon and selling it as a print book via Amazon. That's the long tail theory that Amazon espouses, which is they sell fewer copies of more books which in the end earns them more profit than selling millions of copies of a few books. And so quality control and print business has always been a question. You are going to face the same issues in the digital side. There is no doubt about that. However, what's interesting thus far is that brands are selling in the ebook. Now, let me explain that. On the print side, James Patterson as a best-selling author is a brand uh, John Grisham is a brand. Readers do not walk into bookstores and say, I want to find a Simon & Schuster hardcover. It doesn't mean anything to them. They're looking for authors. On the flip side, in the print business, certain brands such as the Dummies brand, the Chicken Soup brand, certain series books, Dr. Seuss, for example, and children's books, those are brands. Brands on the print side has always been, or typically been, the author. On the digital side, what we see early on is that brands are starting to sell. So if a publisher comes up with a brand for their digital books, which you're starting to see, we're finding that consumers are looking for those brands for the quality control because they recognize the brand, they've either purchased the brand or someone have told them about the brand, and so they're willing to download. Quality on the digital side is going to become an issue because over time, the, the less quality books, regardless of price, are going to slowly fade because they're going to have not only quality issues, but they're going to have uh, compatibility issues and download issues. Today, there are a tremendous number of of, of free services. Bring me your manuscript, we convert it for free, you put it on our site and sell it. And that's fine and it works great. The problem is when you venture outside of that particular website, the free services are causing download issues and compatibility issues with other readers, which tells ebook uh, owners or ebook reading owners that that doesn't work for me, I'm not going to buy that particular brand of ebook. So you're seeing a branding early on in the digital business that you did not see in the print business, and I believe that readers are going to become uh, familiar with recognizable brands. People are going to talk about recognizable brands. It's going to be written about, and so they're going to know which brands they want to buy because it's a trusted brand. Just like we trust consumer brands today, 
when we buy, you know, cereal or toothpaste or whatever. General Mills, Procter & Gamble, we recognize those brands. I think you're going to see similar on the digital side. That, in turn, is going to eliminate a lot of the compatibility, or I should say credibility issues, quality issues of the writing, and, and the lack of editorial is going to weed those those people out. Uh, it's going to take some time. It's a, it's a problem today. But again, in the early stages of any industry, or any new new form of communication and entertainment, you're going to find that. But I think over time, you'll you'll see that quality control will be introduced, and people who purchaser of ebooks will recognize which brands they consider as quality. What are people buying? Just in general, not even talking about digital books, Jerry. Are people purchasing fiction or nonfiction? What is the big seller in terms of category? You know, publishing in the print side has always been very cyclical. You're always going to sell a certain number of romance. You're always going to sell a certain number of science fiction fantasy. You're always going to sell a certain number of, say, nonfiction, let's say business or whatever. Uh, So it's very cyclical. Uh, At any one time, that trend could change. But the vast majority of the books being purchased in print are going to be fiction. You're going to see a large percentage of romance. You're going to see a large percentage of mystery, novel, suspense, drama, those kind of things. So fiction uh, clearly has an advantage over the nonfiction. In the digital world, the ebook world, early on, you're seeing advantages for nonfiction. So you're seeing people who are interested in, for a couple of dollars, downloading a short business book or a short book on health or a fitness so early on now, uh, the nonfiction seems to have an edge over fiction titles, which is just the opposite on the print side. And of course, let me, let me remind your listeners that you know the trends change. They change dramatically. They change quickly. Um, if you have a major event that happens in the, in the world, you will find a, a, a huge shift in reading preferences. I'll give you an example. Uh, after 9-11, the category of religious or Christian became a huge dominant category in Walmart stores and they have that category has never relinquished its spending since 9-11 and that was literally an overnight change and to this day you see a large percentage of, of the Christian titles around the country sold obviously in Christian bookstores but certainly in Walmart stores which is an interesting statistic and on the digital side right now, the nonfiction clearly, a lot of it because of price, but because of content, uh, is overshadowing the fiction side. Could that be related to the, let's say, belief, because I don't know, uh, I don't have any statistics to back this up, but traditionally, it has been the men who have been faster to embrace technology. And so perhaps this is the case when it comes to the readers. Could that be linked to there being more men who purchase these readers and who embrace the digital e-format? Do you have any statistics by gender, ethnicity, geography, anything like that that you can share on the digital format? You know, unfortunately, I do not, Elena, but I, uh, I would agree with your premise. I do believe that men right now are probably the, the primary purchasers of e-books and, and e-reading devices. And, but I do believe that's, that's going to change. Um, on the print side right now, uh, women obviously are a dominant uh, force in the business, and a lot of books, uh, you, you publish them in a way that you consider women to be your primary audience. Uh, on the ebook side, uh, I, I don't want to say that publishers are producing ebooks with a male audience in mind, but yet when you look at what seems to be working, uh, it, it would indicate that you probably have more male readers than female readers. So I, I, would, I would tend to agree, even though I don't have statistics, I would tend to, to agree with you that's probably what we're seeing. And that could certainly relate to what you were saying a minute ago, that nonfiction is the dominant type of book that is in digital format or certainly that is being purchased or consumed because some of them, of course, are giveaways, perhaps because these men are purchasing books that are practical from a business perspective rather than for leisure time. And again, I'm speculating because I don't have any statistics here. No, I would, I would agree. I think you're absolutely correct. I think the men who are active ebook readers who own e-reading devices um, – 
they could be commuters, uh, certainly on you know airplanes, uh, trains, and um, they're probably downloading a lot of information that they can consume on a business trip or whatever. So I, I would tend to agree. I think that's probably what we see, what we're seeing early on. Going back to the barriers of entry, or rather the lack of barrier of entry, if it's so easy now to publish a digital book, and all you have to do is convert it into a PDF, why go through a middleman other than the branding issue that you were talking about earlier, which eventually is going to separate the sellers from the non-sellers? Are there any reasons why, if someone who's listening to us is interested, hey, I want to publish an ebook? Why should you or shouldn't you go beyond the PDF format and and format it in a, one of these twelve ebook technologies that are available? Well, of course, I'm I'm. It's not exactly an objective opinion because having spent my entire adult life in publishing, I believe that in order for writers to have a real opportunity at being successful, they need assistance. They need guidance. Part of the problem with this print-on-demand publishing that I mentioned earlier is that those companies are primarily printers. They're not publishers. They call themselves publishers, but they don't have a lot of experience in the world of publishing. And certainly, New York Publishing, uh, they're not all experts, but yet they have years of experience dealing with a wide variety of titles and issues and and marketing of, of content and so forth. So I believe that if the personal goals of a writer is to share their work with as many people, as wide of an audience as possible, regardless of fame and fortune, if their, their whole in writing is to share their work, to entertain, to inform, to enlighten their readers, then I'm a strong believer that you need some guidance in how to do that. Now, one of the clear trends in publishing is away from a New York model where you're under contract, where you lose control and ownership and rights to your work. Okay, because traditional publisher, that's what happens. Publish on your own independently. So you should retain all rights, ownership, and control. So in order to publish effectively and have any chance of being successful in the marketplace. One, you need some kind of editorial um, work done on your manuscript. And, and even the best-selling authors, the best uh, writers in the world depend on editors. So I think, one, you need an editor to assist you. And in turn, you need someone with publishing experience to make sure that your book is positioned properly in the market. Now, let me, let me explain what I mean by that. The, the real key for books to be successful is to be properly categorized. In the print business in New York, one of the primary factors a lot of books fail is that publishers miscategorize them. It, it, it might have been the type of book, for example, that should have been found, let's say, in women's health, but instead, it was categorized as nonfiction self-help. So it ends up in self-help, but they missed their audience because all of the women looking for the book went to women's health, and they couldn't find it. They abandoned the idea. They walked away. Um, being miscategorized and mispriced for your particular genre or category is the biggest problems uh, with books. In addition, not having a book properly packaged, meaning the cover, is a huge problem. And again, it's a situation where people with experience can guide you, can offer you advice, and help you. And so that's what I suggest for anyone who is serious about their career as a writer, because you're only a first-time author once. You only truly launch a book one time. If you make mistakes in your own judgment, uh, it's very hard to overcome those mistakes. If you develop a reputation as an author who has written uh, work that is not of very good quality, not edited well, that reputation, that stigma can stay with you. So again, it depends on the personal goals of the author. Uh, anyone today, anyone today can write five to 10,000 words 
and virtually for very little money have it converted to an ebook and start selling content. There's no doubt about that. But as I mentioned earlier, those types of books or ebooks are not going to succeed and they're not going to sell because even though the author may not be publicizing or marketing their book, word of mouth uh, in, in, through online chat rooms, etc., cetera, uh, will kill your business. And so that's what's going to be the downfall of poor quality ebooks is word of mouth. People are going to talk about it. They're going to spread the word about certain titles, about certain authors, about certain companies, and that's what's going to eventually uh, hurt you. So anyone can publish an ebook and can do it for very little money. For a few hundred dollars, someone can, can gain advice from professionals who understand the business and give them an opportunity to be successful. Now, let me define successful. If someone listening to us is thinking successful means bestseller lists and possibility of an appearance on the Today Show or Good Morning America, that's not what I'm talking about. Successful means, first of all, you earn your investment back. So if you've paid to have your work published, successful means you've earned enough money in sales that you can repay yourself. And the second level is that you're successful enough to earn a living writing. Because most of the people that, that I encounter are interested in, in how do I make a living off my writing. And the only way you're going to do that is if you publish uh, in the right way. There are certain things that writers need to adhere to when they publish. Categorization, packaging, pricing. And in my experience, uh, it's very difficult to do that if you haven't spent time understanding the marketplace and how books are published and how they sell. So I would recommend they seek out guidance from someone out there who has a lot of publishing experience and they can answer questions and, and give them help. So that's what I would recommend if you're considering an ebook and certainly if you're considering a print book too. Let's go back very quickly to the print book world because I know we didn't have uh, either one of us statistics on the digital format. But from the print world, do you have any statistics in terms of sales to by gender, by ethnicity, by area of the country? I, I unfortunately, again, I, I do not. I apologize. Um, let me harken back to my experience, and I will tell you that um, the largest percentage of books, obviously, are sold in the largest. Uh, media centers in the country. If you look at the top 30 to 50 media markets in the United States, more books are sold per capita in those areas than they are anywhere else. It doesn't mean books aren't being sold elsewhere, but it does say that primarily um, urban dwellers, uh, suburban dwellers are the largest consumers of uh, published content, whether print or uh, I would also imagine ebook, but I don't have hard statistics to back that up. Just my experience in, in the business and being involved in a sales group in New York and, and running a sales division in New York, I will tell you that your large media centers are, are the places that sell books. Obviously, New York, Boston, Miami, Atlanta, Chicago, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Seattle, the list goes on. If you look at those big media markets, that's where most of the content is, is purchased. You talked about success and how you measure success, t telling our audience that if they were thinking of becoming a best-selling author, they should really be very well informed before they made assumptions on that. And as we were talking earlier, most books, even those published by the big publishing companies, in fact, don't do very well. So we know that being successful, depending on how you define that, but if you're looking at number of books sold or recovering your investment, is a very challenging thing indeed when it comes to book publishing. Now, there is another way that I have seen people use books 
and book publishing, which is to leverage themselves in their business to develop a reputation as a consultant or whatever line of business they're in, they write a book and now they've positioned themselves as an expert. And so, in fact, they're not really looking to make money from the sales of the book. I've seen people actually give away hundreds and hundreds of copies of their book because they wanted to be a New York Times selling author. And so they were actually buying copies of their own book directly from the publisher and giving them away in order to develop that leverage that position them as experts and as a noteworthy person. Could that be a potential part of the digital book audience or not just audience, but the book, what are we going to call them? They're, they're not publishers, I guess they're authors. So digital book authors who self-publish. Do you think that would be a large part of that new author self-publishing audience? Well, the, there have been a few lists compiled of some of the um, more downloaded uh, ebooks, and unfortunately, early lists included free. And so, a lot of what you saw in the quote best-selling ebook category unquote was free downloads. Um, I believe that the opportunities. For authors who are looking to leverage ebook uh, to enhance their business or consulting practice or whatever, I do believe there are much greater opportunities on the digital side to to reach a much larger audience than they ever could by speaking around the country and giving away books for free. So I do believe that people who are interested in using the ebook to enhance their business, et cetera. I believe the digital is, is a preferred format over over print. I also believe that the best way to reach an audience today with an ebook is to be willing to give away as much as 20% of the content, whether that represents uh, several chapters or whatever. I do believe that that's the best way to be successful. In other words, and to sell ebooks because uh, people with ebook readers are interested in free downloads and they're, re- they're interested in free excerpts of books before they buy, uh, which is the only way they have any hope of duplicating a bookstore experience where you can literally walk in, take a book off the shelf, and sit down and read excerpts from that book to see if you're interested before you're buying. So I do believe that ebook is going to continue to offer opportunities uh, for people like you mentioned, but I, I believe the opportunities are much greater the potential is, is much greater, and the possibilities are beyond what they can even conceive if they publish uh, in the right way. And what I mean by that is uh, have quality control to their book, package it properly, price it properly, position it in the marketplace properly. I do believe that an ebook offers much greater opportunities than print, but it will as you say, it will also uh, allow them to give away content for free. And for businesses who have a certain product or service that may not be easy for consumers to understand or recognize, there's tremendous ways to build your product name and build your brand through the release of quality digital content. And I believe that those opportunities uh, are there today in the ebook side that were never available and will never be available in the print side. Simply from a cost standpoint, it's so much easier and, and less expensive to produce a quality ebook than it is a print book. And on the print side, you still have reprinting and distribution and all those things, where on the ebook side, you don't have that. So I do believe that the opportunities exist and, and will continue to exist for, for some time. I have a question from a Hispanic NPR podcast listener, Luisa from Florida. And she's saying that these days everybody wants to publish a book. Everybody has a personal project, a story they want to tell, a business they want to brand. And her question is, is it worthwhile, is it a good business to publish 10 or 100 copies? And in these days where there's so much competition, she mentions eBay and Craig. I think perhaps she's talking about Craigslist. How do these 
format, the, the online formats and the availability of digital books, how does that affect the, and I'm assuming when she talks ten about 10 books, perhaps she's talking about print on demand as you defined it earlier, how does this affect the viability and does it make sense to print books in such small quantities as 10 or 100? Well, you know, when I work with a writer, my first question to them is, what are your personal goals for your writing? What do you want to achieve? And believe it or not, not everyone wants to be famous and rich. They, they, they have a belief that they have a story to tell, and they want to tell the story. They want people to read it. They want people to be touched by it. They want people to uh, improve their lives by reading what they have to write. And so... Uh, when you think in that context, printing 10 or 100 books will not get you the kind of exposure or potential for success that you would have if you took the money you spent on the print books and invested it in an ebook and could market it as an ebook. So I. Printing 10 to 100 books is good if you're wanting to reach family and friends and you want to have a legacy of your writing left to someone who appreciates it and understands it. If you're looking at printing 10 to 100 books to try and gain some kind of traction and momentum in the market, which will be a first step to printing more books and selling more books, I would say it's very unlikely that would happen. However, on the, again, on the digital side, uh, you're not bound by quantity. So you can put a digital book out there, and it could translate into tens of thousands of book sales, where on the print side, uh, 10 or 100 is really not going to get you where you may want to go. And may want to go, I'm assuming the author, writer of those books, is interested in gaining some success from their writing. And printing 10 to 100 just, just really won't accomplish that for you. Jerry, what advice would you share with our listeners who may be interested in embarking on their first book project and are trying to decide between digital or print, trying to find a publisher, doing it themselves, finding someone to help them like yourself or a ghostwriter? What, let's say, three tips would you share with them to help get them started or organized or maybe even decide whether this is the right thing for them? I think... um Writers have to write their own story. And what I mean by that is each individual writer has a unique background, experience, education level, and what they bring to their storytelling is unique to any other written project anywhere. So I encourage writers to write your own story. Don't worry in the beginning or as you're writing it about who your audience is. Don't try and mimic another author or a best-selling author the way they write or copy some way in which you think will be more attractive to agents or publishers or editors or whatever. I think you commit your writing to paper. That's the number one thing. Write your story, commit it to paper. The second thing is no matter how successful you hope to be, Working with someone who has an objective eye toward making your writing better is uh, absolutely essential. Now, I didn't use the word editor simply because uh, if you have someone who you truly believe can be honest with you about your potential as a writer, then you need someone to read what you're writing and offer feedback, okay? Family members, close friends are going to tell you that it's great. They're going to say, this is really good. You need to get a publisher. My concern is that you're not getting accurate and honest feedback. So you need an objective opinion on your writing. Now, one of the things today is there's, there's editorial critiques available. So you can have a small portion of your writing read by someone who has a lot of experience, and they offer you a written evaluation. So... Don't be frightened by the idea or the word of, oh, my gosh, I have to hire an editor. It's going to be terribly expensive because there are ways to do it. So number one, commit it to paper. Number two is you need to work with someone that will give you an objective opinion about your work. And the third thing is 
if you have any hope of being successful and defining successful as I did earlier, then you have to work with someone who can help you publish in the right way. It's not expensive. If you look at the investment you make in your writing, the time you spend, uh, hours and hours and months and perhaps years, then don't shortchange yourself by uh, avoiding an objective opinion or in publishing in the right way. So the three things is, number one, commit your writing to paper. Get it down on paper. Get it written. The second thing is work with someone that can give you an objective opinion about your writing and how to improve it because that's what you want, feedback on how to make it better. And the third thing is if you hope to achieve any level of success, whether it's uh, reaching a certain audience or sharing it with thousands of people, you need advice on how to publish in the right way because making decisions on your own will not only cost you money, it will cost you time, and in the end, you'll make mistakes that you may not be able to overcome. So those are the three things I would, would recommend to anyone who's considering uh, writing or a book project or publishing, producing any kind of content. Those are the three things that I would highly recommend. Are there resources that you would suggest that they follow up with uh, maybe a website or if somebody has questions, is there somewhere they can reach you? Do you want anybody to reach out with questions? Oh, no, absolutely. Please, I would encourage anyone who is listening or, you know, today, tomorrow, next month, next year and has a question, please feel free. My, my website is writersreaders.com. The information on that site is free. I have blogs. I have tips for writers. It's all free. I write articles about the business, the things we talked about today. Uh, people can go and, and, and spend time and browse through. I mean, I literally have five years worth of articles that I've written and blogs and so forth, and, and it's all providing information for these writers. Uh, my email is jerry at writersreaders.com. I answer emails personally. I encourage people to contact me. Um, and I have a newsletter that I publish every two weeks that's free. If you go to my website, Writers Readers, you'll see it there. Um, what I do is I keep writers updated on the trends in publishing, on what's new, what's different, uh, things they need to be informed about the business because I'm a strong believer that uh, you really, as a writer, to be successful, you have to do the things we've talked about, but you also have to be informed. You have to be informed about the business and how it works. And if you are informed, then you can recognize and spot opportunities. And it's all about seizing the moment, and certainly today, seizing the moment is about our topic, uh, and that's digital publishing. Thank you, Jerry, for joining us from Phoenix, Arizona. Thank you, Elaine. It's been so much fun. You, you've been a very gracious host, and I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. I hope we have you back and talk some more about book publishing. Terrific. I'd love to do that anytime. And to our audience, thank you for listening to Jerry D. Simmons, author of What Writers Need to Know About Publishing. Today we discussed Surviving and Thriving the Changes in Book Publishing. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicMPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at HispanicMPR.com. That's editor at HispanicMPR.com.